Our series is titled Got Fruit. Got Fruit. Of course, the way it's looking is that we're going to be examining, and we're about five weeks in, we're going to be examining the nine fruits of the Spirit. And we're going to learn and hear a little bit more about a new one today, one that you've not heard because I've not been here. Uh, but at the end of the day, we got a very simple goal. We got a very simple goal, and that is to grow and to nurture our spiritual health. And this is important that we nurture and grow our spiritual health because as believers, we need to be spiritually strong, displaying the nature and the conduct and the character of God in every aspect of our life. However, when we examine our lives, we notice two things. When we look at our lives closely, we notice two things. We either produce good things or bad things. How many of you last week said something that you wish you had not said? Raise your hand. How many of you did something that you wish you had not done? This just maybe this morning, right? <laughs> so as we examine our lives, we know that we do good things and we do bad things. We do those things that we don't necessarily and sometimes regret later, but hey, guess what? It, it happens. And when we look at this from a biblical perspective, the Bible calls those good things the fruit of the Spirit. And he calls those bad things the works of the flesh. Paul says it like this in Galatians 5 and 16. He kind of gives us a better feel or a better picture for those two things that are fighting against each other that is on the inside of every living being. He says it like this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I don't know about you, but every now and then, I do some things that I don't want to do. In this scripture, we can begin to see that Paul is describing these two entities. The first that he is describing is called the flesh. And if you've been in church for any length of time, do you know that the, the flesh, our sin nature, we acquire that through the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And one of the things that you can know about the flesh is that it produces the works of the flesh. Those things that we wish we had not done, but we do them anyway, those things that come from our fleshly nature. Paul also in this scripture begins to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And this is where we want to live. We want to have more victories, more wins than losses. So he goes on to describe the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is completely opposite, completely opposite of the works of the flesh. And the fruit of the Spirit can be recognized by its most notable trait, its being Christ-centered. When we look back at the things that we do as it relates to our, our, the works of our flesh, a lot of times you can identify them because they seem to, be, seem to be more selfish in nature. When we begin to look at the fruit of the Spirit, you begin to see that they're more Christ-centered. And that's why we want to make sure today that we understand that there is a battle going on in the heart of every believer. And even if you're not a believer, guess what? When you're pondering whether to do the right thing or not, this is the same, same battle that's going on on the inside of you. So we're going to go ahead on now and look at Galatians 5 and 22. We're going to reference and communicate to you 
all nine fruit of the Spirit. And then I'll move on into my message and begin to share with you about the one that I'm going to be talking about. Now, just like the last couple of speakers that have been through in the last couple of weeks, the way we're doing the messages is we're going to talk about and highlight the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to be talking about today. And then we're going to highlight the opposer. What is the opposite of this fruit of the Spirit that keeps us from walking in the character and in the conduct of God? So Galatians 5 and 22 through 25, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruit, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with this passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So in that scripture right there, we just identified all nine fruit of the Spirit. But I want to bring just a little bit of attention to this part right here. That those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with this passions. And with this desires. So why do we keep doing stuff that we don't want to do if it's been crucified? Well, we're going to learn a little bit more about that this morning. Today, we're going to be covering and talking more specifically about love. The first fruit of the Spirit. I think this is the most important. For y'all that don't know, all of the pastors had an opportunity to select the fruit that they wanted to talk about. And I was traveling and was out of town, so I kind of came late to the party, and I was looking at the list, and I'm like, peace is taken, gentleness is taken, faithfulness is taken. And I was like, man, all right, I see everybody kind of running around this thing we call love. I was like, I'll take it on. I got it. I ain't scared. <laughs> I ain't scared of y'all. I got this. But I do think this is the most important. Number one, it's the first mention. It's the first mention out of all of the fruit. I believe in the law of order. For example, the book of Revelations does not come before Genesis. The book of Exodus does not come before Genesis, right? There's an order. There's a flow. But for no other reason, I believe that this is the most important because it is the first. Secondly, Scripture lets us know that God is love. God is love and it's the anchor of everything we are and will become as believers. God is love. Thirdly, if we don't have love, if we don't have love in the manner in which we're going to explain and talk about it today, you can, you can about forget about doing and maintaining and walking in those other fruit. We got to have love in our life. And as love anchors this list, God must be at the anchor or at the root of our lives in order for us to produce these fruit of the Spirit. Scripture clearly teaches that upon salvation that we are filled with the what? We are filled with the Spirit. As soon as we confess our sins and believe that Jesus died from the cross, died on the cross for our sins, and that on the third day he was raised from the dead, Scripture says you shall be saved and that we will be filled with the Spirit. So I ask myself, if this is true, then where's the fruit? When I get ready to do those good things, but this other thing comes out, where is the fruit? I believe the answer is in the root. Said another way, if we want to change 
the fruit in our lives, we got to examine the root. If we're wanting to change the fruit, we have to examine the root. So again, we're going to be talking about love today, right? Everybody all excited about this? I, I know what you're thinking. Oh my God, he's been to fix it. This is the answer the whole world has been searching for. God has sent this man today to heal me from the inside out. Y'all know how we do it, right? He's going to fix my marriage. He's going to fix the relationship that parents have between their children. He's going to have the re fix the relationship that we have with our friends. All three of those types of love are, are, are clearly defined and described very well in Scripture. But we're not talking about that one today. We're talking about the most important love today. And as we talk about this, while we're not going to, to speak directly to those other types of love, I will assure you of this. If we can get a grasp and an understanding of what we're going to be talking about today, it's going to have a huge impact in all those other love relationships that you have. So let's go ahead and dig in. What is love in the manner and fashion that is mentioned in the scripture that we just read? The Greek word for this love is called agape. This is agape love. Agape refers to a selfless kind of love. Agape refers to a sacrificial kind of love. This love is unconditional. It's a very special love, unconditional. You can't get this from Walmart. And in Wiggins, you can't get this from Piggly Wiggly. This is an unconditional love. This love seeks the good of others above oneself. It's when we don't mind if others get the credit. It's, we, it's when we don't mind that if God gets the glory. And if we have to wait to get our reward when we see Jesus, it's okay. It's that kind of love. But y'all know how most of us are wired. <laughs> I want my reward now, right? <laughs> and that's when that selfish flesh tries to kick in. But this agape love, it is different. It is of God. So you might ask yourself after hearing a definition like that, how on earth can I accomplish this? How can I do this? So clearly we can see it is not within us to do this. Otherwise, guess what? Our marriages and those relationships will be just fine. <laughs> the relationships with the people that we're upset with on work, they'll be just fine. We can't produce this in ourselves, so we have to go a little bit further and look at the author of this kind of love. John, uh, 1 John 4 and 8 lets us know that the author of this love is God. It reads, anyone who does not love does not know God. Now, put, put that on just for a second. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Guys, I want you to kind of grab that scripture just a little bit because there's a lot riding on this scripture right here. Our very relationship with God is defined by this type of love. It says we don't know God if we don't love. That is huge. That is huge, and I think that's why we see so much conflict and contradiction of even the believers. Because we may lack in this area of love. 
our society, and I think this is the core issue right here, that our society has fed us such a rich diet of emotional exchanges in an effort to try to define love, making it very difficult to see what we're talking about today. Amy Carmichael said it best when she stated it like this. She says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Let's look at that a little bit closer. Sometimes we give so that we can do what? Receive. I gave to you. You better give me something. Strings are attached to that kind of love. Anybody familiar with that? Anybody been punched out of nowhere because somebody thought that you should have been doing something because they did something for you and you didn't acknowledge them enough or your gift in return was not big enough? That's not the kind of love that we're talking about. The love that we're talking about is this. I love, so I give. I love, so I give. You see the difference there? No strings attached to the second one. This love, this agape love is so righteous, it is so pure that it propels the believer to want to give. And I don't care if I receive anything in return. I don't care if I have to wait until I see Jesus in order for me to get my reward. That is okay. Let's look at a quick, a quick contrast of agape Love versus this thing that we have become so emotionally charged with over the years. Agape love is centered on the mind and the heart of God. Worldly love is centered on self. Agape is where forgiveness of the enemy lives. Worldly love is the home of vindication. Agape love, the land of grace and mercy, where freely we've received, so freely we give. Worldly love contrast is filled with retribution and vengeance. Agape love is when we truly understand that there's no greater love than for a man to lay his life down for a friend. The worldly love thinks more highly of itself. When we look at these contrasts that we just read, we see this agape love was best demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. Y'all remember the scene when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Y'all remember the scripture. Y'all have all seen the movie. When he said, Father, forgive them for they, not, they know not what they do. What Jesus was really saying is that they don't understand this kind of love. There was love stretched out for them right there on the cross. And he was saying, Father, they don't understand what's going on here. Of course they knew what they were doing. When the last time you hurt somebody intentionally and didn't know what you were doing? You know what you're doing when we hurt people. And they knew what they were doing. So the message that Jesus was trying to communicate to them is that, Father, they don't understand this. What they did not know was this agape love. Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh, could never be destroyed. This is covenantial love right here. It doesn't move and shake and ebb and flow when we don't get what we want, when it doesn't go our way. This agape love is solid and strong. Even then, while Jesus was on the cross, he was saying in his heart that nothing can separate me from these individuals. My love will endure forever. This agape love, guys, it's, it's an amazing thing. 
It's an amazing thing. I like the way Paul said it in Romans 8 and 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, a sword? He goes on in verses 37. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Somebody say, I'm more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. In all of these things, he said, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. It was the love of Jesus that allows us, when we partake of the fullness of it, to be overcomers in whatever the situation that we may have or find ourselves in. He goes on to say, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's a mouthful right there. We shouldn't have any worries. We shouldn't have any concerns. It is the love of God, as Pastor Casey has already stated, that helps us through in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm, regardless, no powers, no principality, things here today, things to come, nothing can separate you from the love of God. This is agape love, and this is the fruit of the Spirit that we're to walk in. So why is this love so critical? Why am I kind of pounding the payment, so to speak, to get this message across to you this morning as it relates to this fruit of the Spirit? The first thing I want to point out to you is that it is our best outward demonstration that we love God. The world has to know. Your fellow believer needs to know that you love God. 1 John 4 and 20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, scripture says that, that, that if anyone says that I love God and hates his brother, then he is a liar. Guys, who is the father of lies? Satan is the father of lies. So you can begin to see right there that this is our identity in Christ is riding on this love and how we demonstrate it when things don't quite go our way. The second reason why I think this type of love is so important is that it expresses the world's, it exposes the world's greatest enemy. I believe today one of the world's greatest enemies is selfishness. Luke 9 and 23 says it like this. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Guys, that means we're going to have to suffer some losses sometime for the kingdom of God to win. We got to deny ourselves some victories here in this earth. Yeah, we can get even. Yeah, I can expose your ignorance. I can say this. I can say that. I can, I can be, uh, become more intellectualized on that subject and make you look like a, like, like a fool. But man, what have I gained? I, I, I potentially lost a brother. I potentially lost somebody that was on their last step before they found the Lord. And sometimes instead of us denying ourselves, we let those words just shoot right out of our mouth. And guys, y'all know like I know, once they're gone, they are gone. They are gone. You can't get them back. 
The third reason why I believe this is so important that we demonstrate this love, this love, this character, this nature of God is because it connects us to Christ. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We've heard that already this morning. When we don't walk in love, this is why it's so important. When we don't walk in love, our faith is impacted. And when our faith is impacted, we begin to walk then in the opposite of love, which is fear. The opposite of love is fear. So let's look at what fear is. This opposer of this wonderful, sweet, nourishing, sustaining fruit of the spirit of love, what is its opposer? Let's, 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 let's dig a little bit deeper into it. Before we get into it, I want to let you know that there is a, a healthy fear. There is a healthy fear. And this fear is described as our approach to God with reverence and devotion and respect that takes precedence over all other things and persons. That's the fear. That's the reverence of God. When the scripture says we should fear the Lord, that's what it's talking about. Not be afraid. Not be afraid that he's going to squish me like a bug. Not, not be afraid that he's going he's to kick me out of the kingdom of God. But a reverence. A communion with him. Now, on the contrast side of that, let's look at this fleshly fear. This is where we want to spend just a little bit of time. What is fleshly fear? Fleshly fear is any belief or feeling about God that can drive us outside of God's will. I'm going to read that again. Any belief or feeling, this is why we have to get in touch and, 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 and overcome our emotions. Any belief or feeling about God that can drive us outside of God's will. I'm reminded of the story of the children of Israel when they're at the foot of, the, of, of Mount Sinai. And y'all remember the story when the power of God descended upon the mountain. And what did the people say? This is what they said. They told Moses this. They said, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear. He's talking about the fear that we're talking about today, that fleshly fear. Do not fear. For God has come to test you, here we go, that the fear of him may be before you that you may sin not. You see the second fear? You see the first fear when they were all afraid of God? Now, let, let me paint this picture for you. Guys, just days before, God had parted the Red Sea for these very folks. They had been in captivity for over 400 years. He had freedom from that. And all he wanted to do was just to come down on the mountain the way I read the story. He says, I want to introduce myself to you. I love you. But they said, no. No, Moses, we want you to speak to us unless we die. They were fearful of God. At that very moment, fear ultimately drove them to desire the voice of man over the voice of God. You see that? They wanted to hear the voice of man over the voice 
of God. We're going to come back to that. I want to hit it right now, but I ain't going to hit it. I hit it too early. So where did this, <laughs> where did this fear come from? Where did this fear come from? Just as we looked at the author of love, the author of fear is Satan. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. When I read this scripture, you can clearly see that fear erodes God's power in our life. Fear erodes God's love in our life. And fear impacts our self-control. That's why when we lose it, we've walked in fear, and now I feel that I got to avenge and stand up for myself and get you straight because you embarrass me. Rather than denying myself, taking up my own cross, and letting God fight my battle, I feel that I got to fight it myself. God did not give us the spirit of fear, but one of power. One of love, one of self-control. Another version of the Bible says sound mind. Guys, we got to get this. When I look back at that story of the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, and if you kind of peel it back a little bit, you can begin to see how they opened the door just a little crack, and they began to allow fear in. And what that fear did is it, it contaminated their love. So the lesson that we can learn from that story today is that fear tolerated is love contaminated. Say that with me. Fear tolerated is love contaminated. Say it one more time. Fear tolerated is love contaminated. The reason why I wanted you to get this because every time now when you begin to see fear, you got to know that indirectly it is having an impact on your love relationship with God. You got to know instantly that the enemy is trying to steal your identity in terms of who you are in Christ. He did not give that to you. Satan is the author of fear. And he's been trying to smear the love of God through fear ever since he was thrown from heaven. Did y'all know he was thrown from heaven? Thrown, slapped out. Not the back though, the front door. And he took some of his buddies with him. Man, we serve an awesome God. Of course, you know he's here on the earth and and he began to do everything that he can to try to destroy the love relationship that God had with man. And, 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 and he fired his first bullet at Adam and Eve. And I will tell you, it was a successful kill. It, it, it hit the mark. They bit, they, they bit the bullet. They bit the bullet. And as we go on in that story, this is what Adam said after he and Eve sinned. He said this. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Here we go. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. You see what fear does? He was afraid. So what did he try to do? He tried to hide himself. Even today, we're hiding from God out of fear as we're trusting in our own understanding and man's tradition. God, we're still hiding. We're still ducking. We're still trying to do it our way. We're trying to go with the popular. We're trying to go with the familiar. We're trying to ride with what's cool. 
We're trying to do what makes sense to us or what makes us feel good. We're naked and exposed, and we're trying to cover ourselves to no avail. You know, sometimes out in the world, you often hear the question, how can a loving God? Have you ever heard somebody ask a question? They started it off like that. You may have asked that question. How can a loving God? Even if someone gave you the answer, as I'm trying to do today, you wouldn't understand because our understanding of love is off. Our love today has been defined as what can you give me? How much does it cost? How big is it? And when are you going to give me some more? Because <laughs> this is about to be out right here. This is why the church and the world can't seem to understand how the true living and loving God through his written words can speak so bluntly on issues that our culture, our culture wants to deconstruct and to be viewed as woke and fluid. Things like gender, things like sexuality and homosexuality, things like the thought of there being many gods. You can get to heaven any way you want to. And it's not true. We're living in a time and a day where the world believes that, that, that there's many truths. There's only one true God, one true living God. Church, I want you to know that the reason why the Word of God speaks so bluntly and so loudly about these things is because He loves us. That's it. That's it. That's His mission. That's His end game. He speaks so bluntly in his word today. That's why I'm yelling at you this morning. <laughs> it's out of love. Don't take it personally. <laughs> but fear says otherwise. Fear flips it. The enemy tries to flip this love. Fear makes us believe that God is mean and that his wrath against sin seems too intolerant to our modern sensibilities. I'm so sensitive, Pastor Casey. I'm touched. I'm hurt. We're so sensitive. And the world got us believing that if you hurt my feelings, then I'm going to go and create a law and put you in jail if you hurt my feelings again. Church, there are, there are churches today in some parts of this world. If they were to read what I'm reading today, I'd be locked up. We're so sensitive. God is mean is what the world wants us to believe. They want us to believe that God went too far because in our hearts we have minimized sin and that the brutal death of the Son of God on the cross seems like far too high of a price to pay for our small sin. We've minimized sin. We've minimized sin. We feel that God went too far. Who would put their son on the cross? Who would have their own son and allow their own son to be killed? In Wiggins, we say kilt. <laughs> Who would allow that? Fear makes us believe that God is wrong. Do y'all imagine and take in the number of times you hear people calling good evil and evil good? Fear wants us to believe and to propel and compel us to believe that God is wrong. So let's just deconstruct them. That old book, that old Bible written that many years ago still can't be true today. Surely not. We're so wise in our own understanding, of course. In so many ways, we're a lot like the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. We want to find a more palatable voice. 
Scriptures let us know, guys, in the end times, there will come a time when there are going to be many, many, many false prophets. And if you want your ears tickle, just keep it out there long enough. The right word that will tickle your ear, it's out there. That's why we better get grounded in the word. That last series that we just covered, when we're talking about foundations, you better make sure your foundation is solid. You better make sure you're building your house on the rock. Because the winds are coming. They are coming. We want a more palatable voice. They preferred the voice of Moses over God. That little bitty crack. Y'all know how the enemy works. You give him an inch, he's going to take everything. Over time, he'll take it all. Fear tolerated is love contaminated. And we don't want to walk in fear. We want to walk in love. 1 John 4 and 18 says it like this. For there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears, fears has not been perfected in love. Before I expound upon that scripture, let's read this same scripture. And where we see the word love, let's put Jesus in there. Let's see what it sounds like. There is no fear in Jesus, but perfect Jesus casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in Jesus. God is love. Jesus is love. You see the correlation? Perfected. What is this word? What, what is this scripture when it says we must be perfected in love? We must be perfected in Jesus. That means we have to receive all of him. We got to receive all of him. I believe one of the biggest tricks of the enemy today is that he's trying to communicate to all of us that we can accept parts and pieces of God. I don't like that, so I'm going to sit that aside. And that's when the door is open to fear and he comes in and wreaks havoc in our life. I do want to point out that this scripture is not telling us that we have to be perfect. That's another lie of the enemy. Guys, none of us will ever be perfect, but we can be perfected in love. We can be perfected in Jesus. Can we really love like this? Is it possible? Can we really, really do this? <clears throat> I can't. I can't. Not, not in my own strength. It's a fruit of the Spirit. That's why it's so important that we commune with the Holy Spirit. Because these tough times, as Pastor Casey has stated, they come, guys. Some of them going to hit you as soon as you walk out this door. What will be your response? We cannot do this in our own strength. Jesus did it. He set the pattern. And I believe that means Arnie can do it too. I believe that means in walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, you can do it too. I'm amazed that as I read the scriptures, we talk about love and fear, that the climax of man's greatest display of fear here in this earth was also the world's greatest display of love. When you think about the cross, man's greatest fear 
crucify him is what they said. And Jesus says, go right ahead. <laughs> the greatest display of love that has ever touched down on this face of the earth. While on the cross, Jesus exhibited the highest degree of this type of love. Selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, and seeks the goods of others. Matthew 26 and 53 communicates to us a little bit clearer why he did what he did. Matthew 26 says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? <laughs> That's what he could have did. That's what he could have did. But he goes on to say this, But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus was on mission. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. And what he was talking about, he says, I got to die on this cross. <laughs> he said, I got to be buried. Because this was spoken of by, by Moses and all the prophets before him. He said, this must take place. The scripture lets us know that he went down into the abyss of this earth and defeated death, hell, and the grave. He defeated fear. He said the scriptures must be fulfilled. Even today, the scriptures are still being fulfilled. He's here today. The presence of the power of the Holy Spirit is here today. <laughs> when he ascended, he fulfilled another promise that he will send the helper, ha. the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And that's why we can walk in this love that we've talked about today. We can't do it in our own strength. It had to be fulfilled. That's why he did it. He loved you. You may be struggling today to walk in this agape love. Your relationships may be all jacked up. And at some point this morning, we're going to have a, a, a team of, of people that, that, that's going to be here ready and willing to pray with you to address that, that, that hot spot or that issue or that relationship that has to do with love. If that's you here in this room this morning, when those individuals come up, please come up. I strongly, strongly encourage you today, don't run out of here. Don't run out of here today. Let God's love become active in you again the way the word says that it should be. I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of walking in fear. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. If that's you in this room today, come up, get prayer. The person that's praying for you probably might turn around and say, will you pray for me too? This shortage of this type of love is an epidemic in our society today. Everything is about give and take, give and take. Beat you down so I can be raised higher. That's not what we're talking about today. You may be in this room today and you've heard this type of love that this, this man, Jesus, died on the cross for your sins. And the scripture says, and you've learned today that if you believe and confess your sins, that you shall be saved. That might be you in this room today and that might be you online this morning. You've never had a relationship with God. You've never experienced this type of unconditional, sacrificial, unselfish love. 
you're going to have an opportunity in just a second to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. So if that's you in this room or if that's you online, we're going to bow here, go ahead and get along with God, and we're going to pray. If this is you and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to, to experience and to see this love activated in your life, say something like this. Say something like, Dear Lord, forgive me of my sins. I do believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that after three days, he rose. Say something like this. Now, dear Lord, upon the truth of your word, I believe in my heart and upon my confession that I am saved. Fill me now with the power of your Holy Spirit just as you promised. Teach me to love you. Teach me to love like you. Teach me to obey all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, let's give it up for those who gave their life to Christ today.